they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 5th of May. It is the first Friday of the month of May. So um, we thank God for a new day. We're going to go ahead and start with the Regina Chaley. We're still celebrating Easter. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Queen of heaven, rejoice, alleluia, for he whom you merited to bear, alleluia, has risen as he said, alleluia, pray for us to God, Alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary. Alleluia. For the Lord is truly risen. Alleluia. O God, who by the resurrection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, have vouchsafed to make glad the whole world, grant we beseech thee that through the prayers of the Virgin Mary, we may rejoice to share in his resurrection through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Sanctus, 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 Dominus Deus, Sabaoth. Pleni sunt celi et terra, gloria tua, hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, hosanna in excelsis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So, we want to talk today a little bit about um, loneliness and isolation and where are we? And, and um, how did we get to the place we're at right now? And how do we find a way out? And how does this tie in with the Bible? I mean, so what? Loneliness, isolation, I mean, it's all part of life, right? We all have these things. Well, it's interesting. You know, um, ever since the um, pandemic in, you know, the lockdowns of the 2020 um, and there, there's an article, there's a great article online now this doctor did that um, talks about the reality, the 10 lies that were promulgated uh, over the COVID virus. It's, it's a good thing you might want to check out here. Um, it's um, American COVID response was based on lies. It's from newsweek.com and it's um, Dr. Scott Atlas. And Dr. Atlas at the end, of, you know, he, he talks about the pandemic and the lockdowns and what was said and what was told us. And he, what he says at the end is he said there were 10 lies. Okay, the first lie, that the SARS-CoV-2 was far more contagious than any flu um, by several orders of magnitude, that everyone, everyone was at significant risk to die from this virus, that no one had immunological protection because this virus was completely new, um, asymptomatic people were the major drivers of the spread, that locking down, closing schools and businesses, confining people to their homes, stopping non-COVID medical care, and uh, eliminating travel will stop or eliminate the virus. Mask will protect everyone and stop the spread. The virus is known to be naturally occurring and claiming it originated in a lab is a conspiracy theory. Teachers are at especially high risk. COVID vaccines stop the spread of the infection and immune protection only comes from vaccine. Well, you know, hopefully all of us realize now that all 10 of those things were lies, huge lies that were promulgated 
in an attempt to lock us down and isolate ourselves from one another, from ourselves. And worst of all, what's interesting, to isolate us from God. Now, the interesting thing is, St. Athanasius at the time of the Arian heresy said, let them have the churches. We have the faith. So they couldn't totally isolate us from God. And if we wanted to, I remember there was this kind of joke, uh, I don't know, meme or whatever you call it that was going around. Um, remember, you can come out of this pandemic three ways, out of this lockdown three ways. You can be a chunk, you can be a hunk, or you could be a monk. Be careful how you choose. And the, the reality is, is, yeah, we could increase our prayer life. We couldn't go to work every day. I mean, some people were working, you know, remotely from home, but you didn't have your commute. You didn't have to fight with traffic. Um, you know, you had more time on your hands. You actually had more time to spend with family. But did we? Did we spend the time with family? Did people spend more time praying? Or did people suddenly glue themselves in fear to their not TV screens so much anymore as their computer screens or their phones, watching the lies being perpetuated and perpetuated and perpetuated. You know, this is part of the communist modus operandi. If you tell the lie long enough, loud enough, and often enough, people begin to believe it's true. Oh, funny thing. So I'm not going to go into the lies and, and whatever. What I want to go into today is the whole aspect of the loneliness. We were isolated from each other. Families were afraid to visit one another. Families were afraid to get together for family gatherings. And by the way, the government was promising to punish people who did. So it, it, it put people, and, and some people were at risk. There were people who were more at risk, people who have compromised immune systems. And so for them, there was a little more um, need to maybe keep a, more of a distance from people. But total lockdown in your home and not going out at all and not seeing anyone for months on end. And most of all, most of all and worst of all, our churches were locked. The sacraments weren't available to us. Now, granted, we could, we could virtually watch Mass every day. We could make spiritual communions every day. Definitely make your examination of conscience and act of contrition every day but to actually receive the sacraments. Now, remember, God is not bound by the sacraments. We are. So when the sacraments aren't available to us, God can give us the grace outside the sacramental system. But he, he calls us to be faithful to the sacraments. I mean, anyone out there want to raise your hand? I, I want to ask you a question here. Does anyone out there know anyone who was negatively affected in the last few years, especially by the lockdowns? And all the lies that were told in regards to SARS-CoV-2. Just raise your hand. Not if you're driving a car, though. Please keep your hands on the wheel. <laughs> but um, so, so we want to talk today about this, about what do we do to help people who are feeling isolated? And maybe we don't even know. Do we know that members of our family are still feeling isolated? I mean, yeah, people are back to work now. The schools are back open. Um, you know, society is humming along again. But have we overcome that idea of isolating ourselves from one another? Have we overcome the habit that we might have formed during the pandemic of shutting other people out and just locking ourselves in to the news media and only listening to what they were saying? So much so that we wouldn't even engage in conversation. If someone challenged something that the news media said about SARS-CoV-2, we wouldn't even allow them to speak. 
I'm not going to deal with that. I can't do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to talk about this with you. Okay. So what can we do? Well, first of all, and, and before we get to prayer, I'm going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, from a therapist point of view, I'm not a therapist. I have a, I have a daughter who has a, um, bachelor's degree in psychology and education and got her master's in academic ex- educate ac- academic counseling academic counseling thank you so and she, we were talking and she said well you know as a therapist what we do is we first of all you know they, they teach us in psychology you want to check in with people just you know a question are you okay how you doing you know you need to talk to anybody would you like to go out for a cup of coffee would you like to go for a walk would you like to go to the park? You know, would you like to, whatever, you know, just, just check in. Okay. And then listen, we have to be able to listen to people and we need to validate what people are going through. Don't trample on people's emotions. Our emotions are not bad things. They're gifts from God. God made our emotions. Now we have to learn how to guide and direct our emotions with our intellect but our emotions in and of themselves aren't bad, but they don't always authentically represent reality. But if someone's been hurt, if someone's been traumatized, and believe me, it was traumatizing for people to hear, oh my gosh, you can't let your children visit their grandparents in the rest home because they might kill their grandparents. And that was the kind of language that was being used. That's traumatizing. You know, <laughs> it's traumatizing. If, if you're, if you have a, a family member who said, you know what, I don't want to die in the hospital. I want to die at home. Well, nowadays, because death has been so removed from us, it, it's a trauma to watch someone die and then watch their body carried out of their home. That's a trauma. And we can work through those things. We can validate what they're feeling. Most of all, by listening and saying, I hear what you're saying. And, and sometimes when you validate someone, what you do is you repeat to them what they said to, to confirm that I did hear what you said, not rewording it, but actually repeating to them what they actually said. So listen enough to be able to hear what they say. And that means to be attentive. That means we have to shut, shut out the extra distractions in our mind and really listen. Okay. We don't need to tell them what to do necessarily. That's not, you know, but we need to be present for people. Um, and then we can share our journey. You know, well, we can, maybe we can share with them, well, you know, I had something similar happen or during the pandemic, yeah, I, I experienced this and this and this. And then most of all, share God's journey and lead from Jesus's example. And by the way, remind people, it's not only okay to reach out for help, it's a good thing to reach out for help. Think of a bug that got stuck in a honey, in honey, you know, that bug can't get out of the honey. It's all stuck in the muck, right? Unless somebody comes along and pulls it out and then cleans off the honey, that bug is done for. Well, the honey's real sweet, isn't it? It's real attractive. But once you get in there, how do you get out of it? And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to take these things and I want to use some of the stories from the Bible to show how Jesus us not only in the New Testament but in the Old Testament how to respond and how to lead people through these kind of things. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 5th of May, the first Friday of the month. And don't go away, we'll be right back. Please let your family and friends know and share this program with all of us.
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. And we're talking about loneliness and isolation. And I'm sure none of you have ever felt lonely or isolated. And um, <laughs> I'm joking. Here's the deal. I want us all to be able to admit when we're lonely and isolated. And, you know, it's okay to take it to Jesus. And what I want to do right now, we talked in the first part about, you know, the lockdown, the pandemic, all the lies that were told. And they were lies. And I hope everybody realizes that now. The whole thing about SARS-CoV-2. Um, you know, when they first tried to lock us down in 2000 and then with the, you know, the, the swine, the swine flu and the H1N1 and, and these different times, they tried to lock us down. People just, just said, no, we're not going to lock down. But this time they got us. They got us and they locked us and they even got the church to lock down the churches. So, but I want to see what Jesus's response is. I mean, did Jesus ever run up against people who were lonely and isolated and outcasts of society? What did he do? How did he handle them? And we talked about the, you know, the, at the beginning here, the first part of the program, what you can do, check in with people, listen, validate their feelings. And um, you don't have to tell them what to do, but to be there for them, be an ear for them, to let them speak, and then share your own journey with them, but share God's journey and share Jesus's example, lead with Jesus's example, and then remind them that it's okay to ask for help. And now it's, it's important to ask for help sometimes. As a matter of fact, it's vital at times to ask for help, to reach out. So we need to reach out. And by the way, for those of you who don't experience the lonely so much and people do out, reach out to you and you get tired of them because you think they're just being needy and um, they're not willing to help themselves or grow up. You know, when a person has been traumatized repeatedly from the time they were a child, it becomes very, very difficult for them to experience emotional maturity so you may be dealing with an adult who's had numerous children and um, is emotionally still stuck in childhood because of numerous traumas that happened to them. Have patience and ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. Don't just cut them off. If you don't have time, if the duties of your state in life don't allow you to have time, suggest a therapist for them. By the way, Father John Hopkins has Divine Mercy Therapy. He can talk to people. Um, you know, and there, there are other avenues where people can go to get someone who can help them if you don't have time. And I, you know, you, but don't be mean to them and don't tell them, you know, you're not trying. Keep encouraging them. I will give you a word of encouragement today. I can't speak to you for an hour, but I can give you a word of encouragement Hang in there. You are loved by God. You are loved. So I want to look at John chapter four first. The Samaritan woman at the well. So Jesus is going through Samaria and um, he, 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 they stop outside of Samaritan town and he sends his apostles off. He's by Jacob's well. He sends his apostles off to um, go into town to buy food. He knows this woman is coming to the well. That's why he's there. And it's interesting. It's noon. The women didn't come to draw water at noon. They came in the morning. So here's this woman coming all alone to draw water at noon. Why? Because she is an outcast. 
So what does Jesus do? He asks her a question. He checks in with her. And what he says isn't exactly asking her a question. He says, give me a drink. She's coming to draw water. Give me a drink. And I was like, wait a minute. You're a Jew and, and I'm a Samaritan and a woman and you're asking me for a drink? And so he's, he reaches out to her. And he says, but, well, you know, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked me to give you a drink. And she's like, wait a minute. And he says, I will give you living water. Well, living water, okay, you had your cisterns that filled up with rain. That was dead water. It wasn't flowing. But if you sunk a well deep enough and it, it touched a stream that ran underground, and the stream was flowing. It's a flowing stream. That's living water. So she's like, well, how are you going to get this living water? This, this, this well is deep and you don't even have a bucket. So how are you going to get living water? Do you pretend to be greater than our father Jacob who dug this well? You know, the questions that are asked. It's, it's, it, there's a little bit of humor here. You can, you can chuckle. You can smile with Jesus. Um, he's not going to put her down. He's not going to crush her. And please, God, don't let us crush anybody. You know, don't, he didn't come to crush the smoldering wick or quench, you know, to, to break the bruised reed or to crush the smoldering wick. And, you know, he, he, so he, he tries to bring her on. But, but the first thing he did by asking her for a drink of water was to discover to her or to help her to discover that she had something to give to him. And this is how Jesus does it. And when people are lonely or isolated, are we willing to look at the most broken of humanity and say, but you have something to give to me. You're human. And you can love because God loves you. And so you're capable of loving in return. Because God's love can make you capable of loving. And so Jesus says, give me to drink. And the conversation goes on. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. And so, um, you know, he, he tittle, he, he's drawing her on. And she's like, well, you know, Jesus, then he says, well, anybody who drinks the water from this well is going to be thirsty again. But anybody who drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Whoa. Hey, give me this water, Lord, now. I mean, man, whoever you are, give me this water to drink so I don't have to come back here. She's already isolated. Her village has rejected her. The women of the village don't talk to her. She comes to the well at noon by herself. And now he's going to give her water and she'll never get thirsty again? Yes, I'm in. <laughs> okay. Oh, you are? Go call your husband. Call my husband. I don't have a husband. I don't have one. Ah, now you're telling the truth because you've had five and the man that you are with now is not your husband. Oh, my word. And then, you know, she's like, okay, so um, you're a prophet. Something's going on here. You know me, you know, you know. So then she tries to get into a theological discussion with him, as it were. And Jesus talks to her about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. He's leading her step by step to a higher level. All she's interested in when she comes to that well is getting a jug of water to slay her physical thirst. He's discovering to her that 
There's something she has that he needs. Her love response. And that if she gives this love response, she'll have streams of living water flowing out from in her because he can give her the Holy Spirit who is the living water. Now that's not going to slake the thirst of our body. It doesn't take away our bodily need to continue to drink water. But it feeds our soul. It gives drink to our soul. It keeps our soul from dying. So Jesus is trying to lead her to another level. She's been living a life outside of God's law. She's had one man after another. Yes, you've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. Okay, so she said, um, he says that God is, you know, and, and she's, you know, she talks about, well, you know, your people say, you're a Jew, your people say we have to worship in Jerusalem, but we worship here. This is Jacob gave us this land. We, we worship here. And, and he says, woman, there's a, coming a time when you're not going to worship God in, in Jerusalem or here. The worshipers God desires are people who worship him in spirit and in truth. So with the true worship of the heart. And it doesn't matter what the location is so much as the disposition of the heart. Okay? So the woman says to him, well, I know the Messiah is coming. And he comes, he will show us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. So now Jesus, first he helped her to discover that she had something to give him. And now he's telling her that he has something to give her. I am the Messiah. I can give you redemption. And so then the apostles come and they're like, he's talking to a woman. Whoa, wait a minute. And they don't say anything though. And the woman leaves her water jar at the well. And goes back to the town and tells the people of the town what just happened at the well. Now, this is a woman who was isolated from the town, from her people, because of her immoral living. And now she's coming to tell them the Messiah is out there at the well. He's at Jacob's well right now. This man told me. He told me my whole life. Well, it's not all recorded there in the Gospel of John that he told her her whole life, but he, she said, he told me everything I ever did. Well, excuse me. Yeah. And, and so we don't have the whole conversation. And so then the people come out and, and they talk to him and they ask him to stay with them. But Jesus takes this isolated person, this person who has been in isolation who has been an outcast in her society. And first he let her discover that she had something she could give him, her love, her heart, her trust, and her repentance, her honesty about her living situation. And that if she would give that up, he could give himself to her and his Holy Spirit, and she could participate in his life. He was the Messiah. So he's, he's checked in with her. He asked the question. He listened to her. He listened to what she had to say, and he validated her. He didn't put her down. He didn't crush her. But at the same time, he takes her to another level, 
Every time she tries to make it just a theological discussion, he takes her deeper into the mystery of his messiahship and his real presence, who he really is and what he's doing. And then he reveals to her that he's the Messiah. And what does she do? Her response isn't, oh my gosh, I'm going to sit here at your feet and learn everything. She runs to town and this woman who's been an outcast who nobody would listen to evangelizes her town and brings the people to Jesus. What are you talking about? There's a man at the well and I think he's the Messiah. He told me everything I've ever done. You've got to come and see him. And the people come out and see him. And they actually begged him to stay. So he stayed there for two days. Or was it three days? He stayed on. Um, so the people came out and then, um, yeah, he stayed with them for a couple of days. And then the people came to know Jesus too. So by Jesus reaching out to this one isolated woman, he was able to reach the whole town. God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, May 5th. Share this with your family and friends and ask them to join us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. So we were talking, we're talking about isolation and loneliness and how do we deal with this and how do, what does Jesus, what does Jesus show us in the Gospels and what, even in the Old Testament, how did um, God deal with people who were suffering or lonely or what does the, the scripture teach us about this for ourselves and for others? And again, we, we have to, you know, look into ourselves and ask ourselves, are we in that lonely place? Are we trying to hide from everybody else that we're dying inside? Because we, we don't have contact with, first of all, with other people or with God. We've lost contact. So we talked about the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4 and how Jesus discovered to her that she had something to give him. He asked her for water, but he's asking, actually asking her for her heart and her love. And then he discovers to her that he'll give her living water, the spirit and truth. He will free her from you know, she's had five husbands. Well, you know, the false worship of false gods that, and, and, and he tells at the end there that you'll worship God in spirit and truth. Now that doesn't mean we won't have churches to worship in and we, that we don't go to church to worship. It means that, you know, in, in the old Testament, the religion of the old Testament, the Jews had one place. The temple was the only place they could offer sacrifice to God. In the new law, Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice. And he perpetuated his paschal mystery, his entire paschal mystery, his passion, his sacrifice on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, and his glorification in heaven. He perpetuates that in the holy sacrifice of the mass. It's truly a sacrifice because it's the one sacrifice that Jesus offered. And it's offered perpetually. In heaven, the victim who immolated himself offers for all eternity that act of immolated love in his risen, ascended, glorified state. The lamb still bears his scars. They're glorified now, but he's before the Father constantly making intercession. 
So he sent the woman, the woman goes off on her own to be a missionary to bring the other Samaritans. He stays on for two days and then they begin to believe in him. And it's, it's funny, she had five husbands, so she needs to give up her, her five husbands. She needs to come to a new way of life, right? She needs to come to a way of life where she's living in union with God, where she's keeping his commandments. And what happens when we fall into, you know, there's falling into idolatry, worshiping a false God is, is spiritual adultery. So adultery, natural adultery, adultery on the natural level represents the spiritual adultery that's going on in our soul. Because when we commit adultery, if we were to commit adultery on a natural level, we're not being faithful to God because God told us not to commit adultery. And so we're, we're not listening to him and we're worshiping ourselves and our own pleasure above him. And so it's, it's not like they're two separate things. So we need to turn back to the Lord as this woman did. She turns back to the Lord and she goes and gets the people from her village and tells them and they come. Is that the only lonely, isolated person Jesus ever encountered? Well, remember in John chapter seven, they bring before him this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And I think the obvious question to everybody is, where's the man she was caught with? If she was caught in the very act of adultery, how come there's a woman standing before Jesus and not a woman and a man? Adultery takes two people, you know? Um, But the deal is, they're not doing this. They're humiliating the woman. They're, you know, they're using her and they're trying to do it to trap Jesus. But Jesus sees the woman as a person. He sees the woman as a sinner who needs to repent of their sins, right? So, um, they bring this woman before him and they say, Moses said to stone these women, what am I supposed to do? Oh, really? So Jesus didn't say anything, as a matter of fact. He bends down and he starts to write on the ground with his finger. And they continue to ask him. They keep pressing him. So finally he looks up at him. He says, okay, let the one among you who was without sin cast the first stone. Oh. And then he bends down again and writes in the sand. And one by one they start to leave beginning with the eldest. And finally they leave and Jesus is left alone with the woman. And she's just standing there. She doesn't, this, this poor woman has been totally humiliated and dragged through the streets and, you know, whatever. They probably set her up to begin with so that they could, so that they could catch her in the act of adultery and then bring her before Jesus. And so um, Jesus looks up at her. And he says, women, where are they? He asked her a question. Now he's going to speak to her. First, the Pharisees come. They're bringing her. She's nobody to them. She's just an object. She's just um, a pawn in a, in, a, in a chess game to them. She's just, she's something to trap him with. So now he asks her a question. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. 
Now, he already knows her story because the whole world knows her story because they made it public. And he's listened. He sat there and listened. He listened to the sounds of the crowd. He listened to her, the breathing of the woman, maybe her cry. Maybe she's weeping silently, trying to keep the sobs in. She's been dragged through the streets, called an adulteress in front of all the public. You know, there's nowhere to hide. And she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. But he said, go and do not sin again. What isolates us from each other first and foremost is sin. Sin isolates us and in the worst sort of way. When we sin and give ourselves over to sinning, we become wrapped up in a little cocoon and all of our senses are inward. What is going to bring me pleasure in the present moment? And, and we don't see other people as persons anymore. They're just objects to be used. They're commodities to be bought and sold. They're toys to be played with. You know, used and abused and cast aside. And, you know, we have this example in, in David's own family where one of, um, you know, he had several wives, right? So he's got this one son, son of his, and the son is um, lusting after his half-sister. And so he pretends to be ill, and he says that only this particular girl can bring him food. So she does, but when, she, when he does... He's not sick at all. He tells everybody else to leave and then he grabs her and he rapes her. And she's just, she's devastated. She said, well, at least marry me. He said, no, get out of here. I'm, I'm done with you. You're finished. He just wanted to use her. And once he used her, all he wanted to do was cast her aside. This is what sin does. You see, he didn't love her. He lusted after her. And by the way, even in marriage, lust is a sin. It's one of the seven capital sins. You have no right to lust after your spouse. Because what does it mean to lust? It means that I want you for myself, my own pleasure, and I don't care about you. I just want to use you. You're not a person to be loved. That's not marriage. In marriage, the conjugal embrace is the mutual giving of husband and wife to one another. It's a free gift. I entrust myself completely and totally to my husband. And I trust him to keep that trust. And the same, he entrusts himself to me. And he trusts me to keep that trust. That I'm not going to go find, look for someone else. That I'm not going to drag him through the streets. That I'm not going to give my body to anyone else. No, my body belongs to my husband. It's not mine anymore. I don't belong to myself. When I give myself in marriage, I belong to my spouse and vice versa. I'm no longer my own. And that's why when you marry, you want to make sure you marry someone who understands what marriage is. That it's the mutual gift of self. And, and the person has to be able to give themselves completely and totally. And lust is not part of it. Yes, is there desire for your spouse? Yes, the desire to please your spouse, 
the desire to give yourself to your spouse in love for their sake, to build them up, to sanctify them. And they, sh- they should be the same way. It's not lust. If some married man talks to you about lusting after his wife, John Paul II made it very clear this is a, mor- this is a serious moral evil. If you know it's a serious moral evil and you choose it with your free will and you carry out the act, it's called a mortal sin. You know, it has to be serious moral evil. You have to know that it's serious moral evil and you have to freely choose it. And if you do that, if you if you're lusting after your spouse in marriage and you know that lust is a sin, it's one of the seven capital sins. That doesn't mean you don't feel the desire for your spouse, that you don't feel the pleasure of the conjugal embrace. It's not that. And you need to read um, God is Love by Pope Benedict because he talks about Eros and Agape and how they go together. So I would suggest you all read that. But I'm going a little bit, but because of the adultery issue here. But Jesus doesn't condemn the woman, but he does tell her, go and sin no more. So again, the adulterous woman, he looks at her when everyone else is gone. He waits. He's not going to embarrass her in front of anyone. Don't go away. We will be back with more on Bible with the Barbers, reaching out to people who are lonely or isolated, especially in this time, and also making sure that we're reaching out to God for the help that we need. Share this with your family and friends, and I'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. Thank you for joining us on this Friday, May the 5th. Thank you to all of the radio stations that pick up our signal um, and any of our shows. Thank you to all of those of you who have the app. Please share the app with everybody in your contact list on your phone and even email people and tell them to get the app. All your friends and family, write to them, whatever, call them on the phone. Um, Encourage them to join Virgin Most Powerful Radio Listenership and to pass it on to their family and friends. This is how this is going to grow. Thank you to our sponsors, to those of um, any sponsors that we have, people who have, um, especially to our benefactors, our benefactors who donate to us, and um, all those benefactors who pray for us and offer their sufferings for us. And um, all of our listeners out there, thank you. And I, I really want to encourage all of you to to please share with all your family and friends and even church groups that we do have a Bible study, a Bible study that is uh, specifically Catholic. Yes. But you know what? The Catholic church is the church that Jesus Christ founded. And hopefully someday Christians will all be reunited together under the one headship of Jesus Christ in his, his church that he founded the Catholic church. So we're talking about isolation and I mentioned earlier in the show that the, real, the one thing that really, really isolates us from each other is sin, right? Sin is an offense against God as well as a fault against reason, truth, and right conscience. It is a deliberate thought, word, deed, or omission contrary to the eternal law of God 
In judging the gravity of sin, it is customary to distinguish between mortal and venial. And yes, that distinction is in scriptures, and it's in the letter of John. Um, John talks about deadly sin. A sin that's deadly is mortal. Mortal means it kills you. Okay, so so sin, um, sin is this, it's an offense, and it's a real offense against God who is real, who really loves us. So the guilt that it produces is real guilt, okay? It's against, it's, it's against reason, truth, and right conscience. It's a failure in genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods, to certain creatures. It wounds the nature of man and injures human solidarity. Injures human solidarity. It causes isolation. It has been defined as an utterance a deed or desire contrary to the eternal law. St. Augustine gave that definition. And then that's reiterated in St. Thomas Aquinas. So we want to understand that sin really isolates us. But the deal is, you know, God made man. And when he made Adam in the garden, remember Adam was alone. And then God, not because God didn't know that he was going to make Eve, but because Adam had to discover that in everything that God created, there was no suitable partner for him. And so it was once Adam discovered that he was alone and there was no suitable partner for him, that then God made Eve and brought Eve to Adam. And she is made from his rib, from his side. She's not superior to him, but she's not inferior to him. They are equal, different, but equal. They are partners. They're collaborators. And they were perfect collaborators before they sinned. There wasn't jealousy. There wasn't hatred. There wasn't anger. There wasn't resentment. There wasn't bitterness. There wasn't, you know, I'm better than you and I'm going to lord it over you. And, and after original sin, what happened? <laughs> well, right away, Adam blames the woman you, Lord, put here with me. And the, the woman, well, who am I going to blame? Oh, the serpent. It was the serpent that tricked me. You know, nobody takes responsibility for their actions. And we tend to do this when we sin. Even, you know, unfortunately, as parents, sometimes it's like, you kids make me so mad. Well, no, um, maybe there's something I'm clinging to inside that arouses my anger to a degree where it shouldn't be aroused. Yeah, children shouldn't be disobedient, and we need to teach them to be obedient. But they have to learn to be obedient. They have concupiscence, too. That perfect little baby who was born, even when they're baptized, they still have concupiscence. And it's okay. They have, to, they have to learn. So we want to realize that it's sin that isolates it from each other. And in the Old Testament, one of the, the examples of um, people being isolated and feeling lonely, read the book of Tobit. And in Tobit, you have two characters who become isolated from themselves and their world around them to the point where they don't want to live anymore. One is Tobit himself. He's blind um, and his wife has to go out to work and... He bring, she brings home a goat. One of the people, she does this work for these people and they, they're really happy. So they give her a goat and the goat comes in the house and bleats. And basically he accuses her of stealing the goat and she gets so angry with him. She said, where are all your righteous deeds now? Why don't you just die? <laughs> Oops. And so he prays for death. And at the same time, there's a young woman named Sarah in Ekbetania. And read the book and you can correct me. Anyway, she has had been given in marriage to seven husbands. And on her wedding night, she's never, she's never 
consummated any of those marriages because on the wedding night, a demon comes and strangles the husbands. So she also, as um, she, one of her maids did something that offended her, and she told the maid, and the maid said, oh, well, what are you going to do, kill me like you kill your husbands? And she's just crushed. She's like, oh, my gosh, everybody thinks I'm a murderer. What's, what's the point of my life? What am I even here for? And she goes up into an upper room in her house, and she's going to hang herself. And she stops, and she says, Lord, if I hang myself, it's going to bring disgrace on my father. I'm his only child. Oh, my gosh, it'll, it'll be horrible for him. Lord, you take my life. Take my life. I can't live. I can't live with this. And so the angel Raphael takes the prayer of both of them to God. And he sends, and he sends, and Raphael is sent to bring healing to both. He heals Tobit's eyes. He cures his blindness. And he brings Tobit's son, Tobiah, to Sarah. And they're married. And then, you know, it, it's, but, but you have to read the story. You have to, to get in there and see God really does care. Read the Psalms. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Oh, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleading. If you, O Lord, should mark our guilt, Lord, who could stand? But with you is found forgiveness. For this we revere you. My soul is waiting for the Lord. I count on his word. More than the watchmen count on daybreak. Let Israel count on the Lord. Because with the Lord there is mercy and plenteous redemption. Israel, indeed, he will redeem from all her iniquity. And so we want the marching orders here, right? What do we do for the people in our lives who are lonely? Well, first of all, find out if there's someone in your family who's suffering loneliness. And don't put them down. Try to listen to them and be encouraging. Remind them you know what? You're made in God's image as a person to be loved. And you're so precious. And you know what? You're precious to me too. My life would be so different if you weren't here. I'm so glad you're a part of my life. Thank you. And thank God that he sent you to my life because you mean so much to me. And we have to remember to tell one another that we love one another. Bishop Sheen has this uh, little poem he had that he would quote, I sought my God, but my God I could not see. I sought myself, but myself eluded me. I sought my neighbor, and I found all three. Remember, Jesus said, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, with all your strength and will. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus also intensified the kind of love we're supposed to have for our neighbor at the Last Supper, when he told his apostles, love one another as I have loved you. And what was the earmark of the early Christian community? What amazed the pagans about those Christians? See those Christians, how they love one another. Remember in the Acts of the Apostles where it said, everything was held in community. If anyone had an excess of the world's goods, they brought it and laid it at the feet of the apostles so that it could be distributed according to the needs of all. So we look around and where is the need? But at the same time, we need to make sure that we have a relationship with God. Because, you know, we can go around doing social work. We can do that. But that's not evangelization. Evangelization is to discover to people that there are 
three persons who have loved them from all eternity, who have loved them into being, who continue to love them, who directly and immediately will their every beat of their heart, every pulsation of every pulsating system of their body, that they they are kept in existence. And the three are one, aren't they? Because there is only one God. But in God, there are three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even in the Old Testament, when God makes man, he said, let us make man in our image. In the divine image, he made them, male and female, he created them. But it was let us make man. And when he, when he sends the angel to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, it says the Lord rained down from the Lord in heaven. Wait a minute, there are two lords? No, there's one Lord. There's only one God. But there are three persons in God. And we didn't fully know that. We can't know that God is a father until his son reveals that. So the son comes and he reveals the father to us. So the son of God becomes man and he discovers to us that God is our father. But that God is not a solitude unto himself. He's not disinterested. He's not dispassionate. He doesn't have a body, so he doesn't have human passions, except that the second person of the Blessed Trinity did take to himself a human nature. And for all eternity, his divinity is united to that human nature. He remains the God-man, the Son of Man, for all eternity. But that God wants us to know and to share in his life The whole purpose of our existence is because God loved us into being and he desires to share his life with us. And he wants us to enter into his happiness. He was perfectly happy. He didn't need us. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a community of love and life. And so he made human beings to reflect that, to be a reflection of his life. And so this is where we find our joy and our happiness. Created things cannot fill the desires of the human heart. As Bishop Sheen said, there's a God-sized hole in our heart and only God can fill it. So we need to pray every day and we need to make sure that we're living in relationship with God and, and also living in relationship with one another. If we find ourselves always being short-tempered and angry at the people around us, let's get down on our knees, go to confession more frequently, confess that, and ask God for the grace to treat one another with the love and the reverence with which he loves us. I hope you enjoyed our show today, and I hope you will share it with your friends, and I hope it maybe helped you or helped someone out there who's lonely to know that you're not alone, and God is loving you, and he's looking on you with love. And hopefully all of us can now go forward today and look at one another and say, I love you. And I'm so glad you're in my life. And I thank God for you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. And thank you to our benefactors, our listeners, and all the radios who pick us up. Join us again next week on Bible Department and share this with your family.